Good morning. Uh, for those of you joining us online or on the phone, my name is Trent Walker. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the midst of a series through the summer. We're going chapter by chapter through the book of Hebrews, and we're hoping, this is a preacher thing, it's not necessarily a parishioner thing, but we're hoping that we get to publicly read the entire book of Hebrews throughout the summer. Um, this chapter is pretty short. Uh, this is from Hebrews chapter 3, and I've given you some, some background on Hebrews, so we won't repeat that, but a little bit on this particular chapter. The title of this series is is, is better things. Um, so the book of Hebrews could be uh, the book of better things. So Jesus is better or bigger or greater than the angels is kind of how it starts. We're told that he is the incarnate deity, that he is the son of God, the son of man. He is everything that, that, that we need. Uh, and, but, but the Hebrews in particular really kind of thought highly of themselves because what they had as scripture had been given to them through the prophets, yes, but through spiritual beings, the angels. So it was a big deal to them that these other religions were kind of more of a mythology and theirs was something of spirit. So these spiritual beings, the angels, um, and, and the Hebrew people had started to elevate angels pretty highly. We transition now in the book of Hebrews, the next thing that, that Jesus is better than or greater than is Moses. And we might not think Moses is that big of a deal because we grew up with Jesus as the head of all things. Um, but to them, he was, he was a great prophet. He was the great deliverer. There's, even, there were even areas of Judaism that they call, academically speaking, the cult of Moses, meaning Moses was more important. He was the, he was the deliverer or the, the giver of the law. He was the one that, that heard from God in the, in, the, in the theophany, in the burning bush, and, and, and took on Pharaoh in Egypt and brought them out of the desert, through the, or out of, the, out of uh, slavery through the Red Sea into the desert. He was the one that heard directly from God. He was the one that had an encounter with God that changed the countenance of his face. He had to veil himself. So the people of God over time began to revere Moses. And you are nothing if you don't bend your knee, bend your mill or will to Moses. And if you think about it, when Jesus in the New Testament, think about it when, uh, when, when, when the the leaders bring a woman who was caught in adultery, John 8, I believe, um, and, they, and they're testing Jesus. They want to know what he's going to do because the law of Moses says, not the law of God, and it is the law of God, but the law of Moses says that we are to stone such a woman. What say you? And you remember that Jesus, I love what he did. He, 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 he knelt down and and drew in the dirt. Some people say he was writing out the Ten Commandments, others that he was writing the names of all of those men that were there accusing this woman. Honestly, I think he was doodling. And I'm, I'm, I'm not making light, but no one knows. But I think it was, it was a, a very direct and intentional thing that all these, these, this woman had been caught in adultery and she's, she's clothed in nothing but a sheet around her in the public space where only men are to be. And she's ashamed, and everyone's looking at her. And Jesus, kneeling down and drawing in the dirt, takes the attention, the gaze of these people off of her and onto the dirt. I think he's, he's giving her some dignity back. And he looks up and he says, 
any one of you who has not sinned, you throw the first stone. And one by one, the oldest first, they walked away. And what does he say to the woman? Does he condemn her? No. He says, I don't condemn you. Just don't do this anymore. Go and leave your life of sin. The law of Moses was set up to protect the people of God, to keep them inside the bounds of how God wants his people to behave. And it's good stuff. But sometimes the law can be applied where the person is lost, where, where the consideration of, of, of an image bearer of God, another human being, where you can just... The law might change behavior, but it doesn't change the heart. Today we're going to hear <clears throat> the author of Hebrews move to Jesus is greater than Moses. Not entirely, but in part because the people had revered Moses so much but they didn't, they didn't revere the heart of Moses as much as they did the law of Moses. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read through this chapter. And I just want you to know when, <clears throat> when, the, when, when the author of Hebrews quotes, and he says, when the Holy Spirit said, he's quoting Psalm 95. Great, great thing to go back to, great psalm to go back to and read. It's about, I want to say starting in verse 12, it's, but it's after the, there's, there's three sections in that psalm, it's after the first section, that's what the psalm, or the, that's what the author is quoting. Let's pray together, and, uh, and we'll see how he makes the case for how Jesus is greater or better than Moses. Lord, you tell us in your scriptures that just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return to it without watering and replenishing the earth, making crops grow. That so is your word that goes out from your mouth. It will accomplish that which you sent it to do. So Lord, as we read aloud your word today, we pray that it does exactly what it's supposed to do, that it does not return to you void, but help us replenish if we need to grow, it helps us grow. If we need to, to, to produce fruit, it helps us produce fruit. Lord, stand in my shoes. Give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth so that we hear your message for us, not that they hear my message for them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. We'll get back to that apostle word here in a minute. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as a builder of a house is great, has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what he would, uh, to what he would be, or to what would be in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. And this is when he he, he quotes Psalm 95. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your father's voice changed here from, um, from, 
from third person to first person, from his voice to me, where your fathers tested and tried me, and 40 years, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we, or so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay. He calls Jesus an apostle. It's the only time in the New Testament that an author of, the, of any of the books of the New Testament referred to Jesus as the apostle. Now, we're, we're, later on in Hebrews, we'll hear he's the author and perfecter of our faith, but here he's an apostle. What does apostle mean? Many of you Bible students already know, but it's, it's apropos, it's, it's appropriate that the author call him the apostle um, because he's talking about Moses as a servant in the house and Jesus as the builder, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, as the builder of the house. Um, so, we have apostles, the 12, right? Minus one, and then one is one is, replaces Judas. What does apostle mean? Sent one. Jesus is the sent one. He is the apostle, not an apostle, not one of the apostles. He is the one. Just like he is the builder of the house, and Moses is a servant of the house, the apostles are, are little, they're lower than Jesus because they only tell us what the Holy Spirit, what, what they learned from Jesus, what they heard from him directly, and what the Holy Spirit has confirmed, has reminded, and has taught them also. So Jesus, is, he's not saying that Jesus isn't God. He's not taking away the divinity of Christ here. He's saying that he, Jesus, the incarnate deity, the, 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 the God-made flesh, is the one that the Father, Son, and Spirit decided to send to us so that we know God, not just know about God, if you remember in John 17, 3, I believe it, yes, John 17, 3, for this is everlasting life, Jesus speaking, that they know you, the one true God. Know, not know about, not be familiar with, but know. And that word for know, this gets a little tricky when you're in the pulpit, that word for know God is the same word used to describe a husband knowing his wife. There's an intimacy there. There is a, there, there's, a, there's a connection there. There's something different than just knowing about. We can have knowledge of a pastor I knew who got a PhD. He got a PhD in the Gospel of John's for, Farewell Discourse. That's John 14 through 16 or 17. 
And the person who oversaw his PhD work was a practicing, non-believing Jewish woman. She was an expert in the farewell discourse in the Gospel of John, but she was unbelieving and practicing as a Jewish person. So you can know a lot about and not know at all. These people, these Hebrew people, knew about God. They knew about Moses. They knew about angels. They knew about the law. They knew all of these things. They're very well-schooled. They're very literate. They're very capable. In fact, the way the author addresses them tells us that they know much. And he's calling on all the things that they hold on to, that they hold tight to, that they want to go back to. And he's telling them simply this. Those are good things, but they're not the great things. Jesus is the great one. Jesus is the one who sent Moses. In fact, if Jesus is, and he is, the living word of God, the the word incarnate, before that, before he took on flesh, before he became a zygote, and then an infant, and then a toddler, and then a teenager, and then an adult man, and then was baptized by the Holy Spirit, before all of that, he, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is the word of God. All things are created through him. All things, it's his word that goes out. He's the author of Psalm 95. He is the author. There's a lot of people that'll tell you these days that, the, that, well, Jesus never talked about this or didn't talk about this or didn't talk about this in the New Testament. He's the word of God. Everything that has been revealed to us through God came from Jesus. You cannot take away the fact that he's a member of the Trinity, that he is the living word of God, that he is the one who speaks on God's behalf. You can't take that away. You can't say that he didn't say anything when he said he's spoken throughout all of history. All of it matters to us. And we can't take away from what he, what he did say, what he did do now, because we want to only revere Moses or angels or the prophets. All of those angels, all of those theophany, a theophany is an appearance of God where there's, no, there's nothing physical, nothing human. So the burning bush is a theophany. All of those things were done by, directed by, commanded to be by the Son. He is much greater than anything. And as we talked about last week, there is nothing, not one thing that is not under his feet, that is not under his authority. There's not one thing that he is not Lord over. So why does the author of Hebrews need to tell his people Fix your thoughts on Jesus. It is easy to get distracted. It is easy to find the stuff of earth. Rich Mullins says in one of his songs, the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance, but I owe only to the giver of all good things. He tells them, here to fix their thoughts on Jesus. Later, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. What's he communicating? He tells these people here, he said, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling to fix their thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest whom we confess. And later, later he says, you are those who share in this if you obey, if you stand firm, if you keep your, your, your your thoughts fixed on Jesus. Here, when it says that those who share in the heavenly calling, that word is a, is a strange word. It can mean a lot of different things. They're all nuanced, in, but it's, it's those who possess, those who hang on to, those who participate in. 
So he's assuming that these people are followers of Christ. He's assuming that they're just drifting away, that they're, that they're getting caught up in things that are not the main things. We do it. And many of you want your preachers to speak to those lesser things. And I'm not coming down on anybody. I understand it. I understand the passion of it. I understand all the things that are going on in our world. I don't, I don't understand all of them. Um, don't, but, but I look at it, and, and it scares me. It frustrates me. And I'm like, why can't these people see? And some of us want, from the pulpit, we want people to talk about things that are less than Jesus. There are thousands of second-tier things. But the one tier, the first tier, the thing that is most important, the ultimate concern of the Scripture is the person, the work, the teaching, the miracles, the suffering, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Son. That is where we should fix our thoughts. That is what we should be holding on to. That is what we should be, as the author of Hebrews says later, holding unswervingly to the hope we profess. The hope is not in one, a, a, a donkey or an elephant. The hope is, our hope is not in anything civic. Our hope is in the one whom God the Father and Spirit and Son sent. He sent himself so that we would have hope, so that we would have salvation, so that we don't have to worry about the sting or the fear of death. And imagine what if the author of Hebrews is, is indeed accurate, if he's able to communicate to them and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, turns, he turns their thoughts back to Jesus. Imagine what could happen around where they live. When people are being, very soon after this, Rome's going down. And Christians will be blamed. The temple will go away. Imagine what would happen if when that kind of stuff happens in the world, the people of God forgive them for they know not what they do. If the people of God love their enemies, if the people of God hear God's voice and pay attention to it. Jesus isn't kidding. The author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is, do not, when you hear his voice, do not turn your heart. Do not rebel against it. Because what, what has God shown for the people that, okay, I'm going to go back for a second. You're an Israelite, and all you knew, and all your, 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 your ancestors knew back, let's just say, if people lived a lot longer back then, let's just say five or six generations was slavery. And some guy who's a murderer who had to run away, he killed someone who was beating on one of his Hebrew brothers, who was kind of a, in Pharaoh's family but adopted, right? He was, he was found in the river in a little ark, and, and he, he, he's been off wandering around for a long time, and God shows up in a burning bush, and he tells him, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm concerned about them. Go and let, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he does. He shows up, and he says, let my, I'm not letting your people go. They're our source of income. They're, they make everything easy for us. They build every, all these pyramids. They do it. So, and, and nope, not doing it. So God says, okay, tell them this, tell them this, tell them this, and all the plagues come. These people saw this. 
And then they finally get them let go and they, they get to take their stuff with them and they go and they, they're blocked. Then Pharaoh changed his mind and the armies come and, and, and they're on the edge of the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea. They walk across as if on dry land and when the army comes, it, it, it caves in over them, destroys them all. They found chariot wheels, by the way, in the Red Sea. This happened. And just weeks after that, Moses goes up to talk to God for God to deliver his heart law. Love me, love others, give the, give the earth a break. And they melt down a bunch of gold that Pharaoh sent with them because of God's command and they make a cow. How could you see what God did and then turn your thoughts away from God? But we do it. I do it. It is just easy to be concerned with the things that do not matter. They matter in the moment, but they will not last. A friend of mine says it this way. He goes, if it's going to burn, I don't want it. If it's going to burn, if it's part of me, if it's sin and it's going to burn, if it's, if it's something of this, this earth that I I'm, that I'm feel like I'm supposed to be concerned about, but it's going to burn, I don't want it. Those are second, third, fourth, fifth tier things. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your mind on Jesus. Hold on to it when everything else looks like it's going to crumble. When all there is in the world is accusation, anxiety, fear, and finger pointing. Stop looking at the fingers and gaze upon the Son who's hanging on a cross. And after those horrible things were done to him, he seeks out the Father, and he says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Folks, I hate to say it this way, but we don't know what we're doing. The world, the body politic, culture wars, humanity, we don't know what we're doing. And if you look, if you're a student of history and you look back in history, the worst of humanity always takes place. More people were killed in the 20th century in the name of godlessness than any religious war, all religious wars combined. Hundreds of, a hundred plus million people were killed in the name of godlessness, of, of godless utopia. When we are left to our own devices, we destroy. And God has picked a group of people on this planet to show the world that there's something bigger, there's something greater, there's something better than grievances, than accusation, than fear, than money. And it's the one who speaks existence into being. It's the one who looks at every person he met, and even when he had hard things to say, it was motivated out of his love for them. He wants them to know him, because that is hope and life and peace and joy. All the good things in your life come because God says they're good. Think about it. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness. I always forget when there's self-control. What am I missing? Faithfulness. Yeah, I always get out. 
It's not the fruits. It's the fruit. All of those things God is imparting to us, just as he imparted to the Hebrew people before. All of those things are things God wants to bring to the world through you. Do you fix your thoughts on Jesus? And do you, when you hear God's voice, some people, when they pray, they get a whisper. Two times in my life. One time was in April, Holy Week of 2021. I was experiencing excruciating pain with that polymyalgia rheumatica stuff. I told you this before. And I'm like, God, every other injury I've had, the 14 surgeries, the 22 dislocations, all that stuff, yeah, it's, it's pain, but there's always an end in sight. This was going to be six months to six years, and it had already been month seven. Lord, why, why am I suffering? What, what's the point of this one? And he kind of whispered, and I can't get the words just right, but he kind of whispered this. Trent, you're suffering because you're obsessed with your pain. It's just pain, and you can do pain. Now, what if I heard that? Never would have had that thought myself, ever, because I was obsessed. What if I heard that and said, nope, not good enough. I don't believe you. Then I'm these people in Psalm 95. Most of us hear the voice of God through this. And the voice of God tells us today to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And to, as far as it depends on us, for my faith not to drift away. How do I make that happen? Well, I either cooperate with Jesus in the work he's doing in me, or I put my hands to my ears. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It's not, people are going to be mad at me. It's not going to be like, it's not going to be easy. Yep. Every bit of that is true. In this world, there will be trouble but I've overcome it, says Jesus. Are we people who believe that he's overcome it? Are we people that believe that the world is upside down and cracked and broken and everything else, and that when Jesus came, even though we killed him for it, he's showing us right side up, healed reality, the way it's supposed to be. And the weird thing is that the God of the universe chose the supernatural vehicle that he chose to bring his hope to the world is us. Ordinary, he calls us clay pots. We're crack pots. We leak. We don't always get it right, and we don't hold it all the time. It, things, but we're made that way. We're made for it to pour out. We're made so that when we do mess up, people see how we confess how we repent, how we're kind when we should be angry, how we're calm when we should be anxious, how we love the person who hates us, and how no matter what happens in the world, we have an assurance because we fix our eyes on Jesus and we fix our thoughts on Jesus and we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because we know the one who promised is faithful. So today, please reconsider. 
whether you're drifting. Reconsider if your thoughts are fixed on Jesus or if they're fixed on the things of the, of the world. And folks, some of you know me quite well. I get texts. We go back and forth. People share memes. I'm, I'm very, I'm a political junkie. I watch all the stuff. And I have the people that I really want to win. I have the people that I really don't. I have the people that, and I try to listen to all sides. And it is irritating. I'm not saying that those things aren't important. But they are all consuming and become gods to us. Like Moses became in some ways to the Jewish people. They become gods to us if we're concentrating primarily on the things and the stuff of earth. We must fix our thoughts on Jesus. And before I get angry, before I get afraid, before I get anxious, before I, before I get accusatory, before I point a finger or call a name, Lord, how would you have me act? Who would you have me be? Where would you have me go? And where can I bring grace and hope and peace and joy into the life or lives of others? If Christians could just be calm, assured, and loving, something might change. I'll leave it with this. Pastor Doug said, and it killed me that I didn't come up with it. <laughs> In a sermon about a, not, maybe not quite a year ago, but he said, we always want, we always think that the Lord has the church, we're supposed to make the world a better place. The church is the better place. So is it? And if it's not, you're part of it. So be the better place. It spreads it's not a disease, but it is contagious. Let's pray. Lord, bless you. Praise you. Thank you for this preacher who spoke to your people things that they did not want to hear. But he always reminded them, don't be the way people can be. We're fixing our thoughts on you. It's the same as the Apostle Paul says that, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, help us think on you. Pray to you. Listen to you. Read what you've said so that we can be the better place. As you are better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the law, help us be better than the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.